the whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching the outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. This is David Marler, UFO researcher, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy, and this show was meant to be with Mark O'Connell. If you've been following along on Twitter, you'll see that we've had to delay that show by a couple of days. We're having some connectivity issues. Mark is getting those sorted out, and we will be recording, hopefully, in the next 24 to 48 hours after you hear this. So that show will still be out within the next seven days. Really looking forward to that. Um, Also... That the universe is conspiring against me to record this show. I was going to kick off having a bit of a discussion about Bob Bigelow's recent interview with George Knapp, which was his most recent appearance on any form of media until about two hours ago when Joe Rogan dropped a podcast with the man himself, Bob Bigelow. So I'm going to hold off on comment on that because as it stands, uh, neither myself nor my guests have managed to, to catch any of that yet because we would literally still be watching it now. It is that fresh. So we'll share our thoughts on that down the line however first off let me welcome dan onto the podcast with me at the this late notice dan how are you doing tonight hey andy i'm great thank you thanks for having me on wonderful anytime as you know and uh we managed to to get a straggler on the line with us as well uh someone who gets a lot of requests to to be back on the pod and i'm just going to introduce him as this is the guy who sings the outro who recorded the outro i get three four five emails every couple of days asking what's the outro uh, so yes i have sean cahill with me minty hyperspace himself on hi sean how you doing i'm doing really good how are you <laughs> i'm very well and um i i don't class dan as a guest because dan's on too often he's a co-host but uh, sean this is your third appearance on the podcast as let's call you a guest uh, as much as you're welcome to come on obviously anytime so uh, well done on the hat trick ball as we'll call it and uh, you're, you're a record setter as it stands for the podcast too so so well done on that sean it's been uh, it's good to have you on again obviously well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to come on. And I mean, you, uh, the three of us talk a lot. So this is just uh, this is going to be a really natural chat amongst friends. I think people will really enjoy it. Yeah. And the guys will be used to it because I record all our conversations anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so listen, um, folks, like I say, I had to park the George Knapp, Bob Bigelow conversation because it might be totally outdated given he's talking on Joe Rogan just now. So we'll come back with that down the line. One bit of news I did want to pick up on that uh, came out in the last couple of days and it's still sort of developing as we go on, although how much further forward, I, I don't know it's going to go. Um, so lots of news outlets have picked up on an American Airlines Airbus A320 on February 21st was flying over New Mexico and flagged uh, an unknown object let's call it a UFO, overhead. Uh, The Airbus radioed ahead to air traffic control to ask if there was anything being picked up above them, and they were told there was nothing. 
I'm just going to assume that was on radar, let's call it, if, if it's some sort of system. But they picked up there was nothing supposed to be there. Uh, the object was described by the pilot as cylindrical and almost like a cruise missile is what they said. And it's been acknowledged this is now being investigated by the FBI. I'll turn that over to Sean first, because one thing I've been asked a couple of, um, about by a couple of people, is it normal for any incident like that to be investigated by the FBI? I would say that this is highly unusual to hear about it, uh, certainly. Uh, in fact, it's, it's unusual to hear about um, a cockpit recording in regards to unidentified aerial phenomena in general. Usually those things are not something that make its way out into the mainstream, um, even when they do occur in, in an open manner like they seem to have, have done with this American Airlines flight. Um, it doesn't surprise me that given the recent um, interest in the topic, across the board that, and especially given the fact that this got immediate traction within the media, uh, it doesn't surprise me that the FBI did respond. It would com be completely within their jurisdiction to do so. That will probably bring up questions for a lot of other people, why there were not other FBI responses at other times in the past, but I, I don't think that would serve our conversation too much today. No, that's, that's fair. And for me, Dan, the speed of how quickly this has come out, as we record this, it's the 25th of February, uh, 10 months till Christmas, folks. Uh, but this is just four days after this incident happened. And already, like Sean said, we've got a, a comment, we've got an audio recording, and we've had statements from the FAA as well. Dan, what's your thoughts on this? It's, it's great to kind of get almost real-time data on this. And this is something that, we've all kind of hoped would happen, you know, a kind of a, a event as big as maybe the Phoenix Lights, except now we've all got iPhones and Androids ready to pop out at a moment's notice. Um, but this makes me think of, of that kind of, but in the modern age. <clears throat> um, it's interesting you said about the FBI because in the bill that was passed, um, it specifies um, the FBI's kind of involvement in records and things like that. So it's interesting to see them here involved again. Um, and we know they were involved in the Colorado incursions with the, the I'm doing the bunny ears. Your listeners can't see me doing it, but the, the drone incursions uh, in Colorado. Um, so there's clear FBI involvement um, and that that's intriguing on its own. Um, a number of people have FOIA requests out on this. So I guess, uh, I guess we're waiting to hear back. So in a word, I'll go with Dan, then back to Sean. Dan, are we going to hear any more about this in any substantial way? Hopefully. I'll, I'll be I'll be optimistic. Okay, I'll take hopefully. Sean, what do you think? Well, I would say that there's, there's three folks that are going to be on the hook for this with the American public, and that's going to be American Airlines, the Federal Aviation Administration, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So if we don't hear about it, you're going to hear from folks like me and then probably folks like you pretty boisterously if for some reason that this turns into nothing. If it if it ends up being reported that we find out that that Iron Man is in the mix now and that he's flying back and forth across the country, uh, you know, that's... If, if, if Elon wants to reveal himself in his suit, that's fine. But otherwise, I can't, I can't think of a prosaic explanation for this um, that would have eluded the folks that checked on it immediately. So I hope we, hear, we should hear more. 
Well, it'll follow me on nicely to the, the first question sent in by the listeners. Folks, I put out to you a lot, given the, the late notice of this show, to send over questions for myself and Dan, and then Sean very quickly came on board as well. Um, and we're basically going to go through a whole load of questions that you guys have sent in for us to answer. I had also put out on the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast for some exclusive content. What did people want to hear? And a lot of the Patreons have asked now uh, for AMAs, Ask Me Anythings, which is lovely. They want to do that. And of course, I would get other guests on, you know, Dan will jump on too. Um, so that will be done separately. So if you want to join up on the Patreon, help support, give a little something back, please do. But I'm not going to be hiding anything that is... I don't think it's worthwhile. That's probably downplaying, you know, the, the the podcast. But I won't hide anything behind a paywall. I won't be hiding guests behind a paywall. Nothing like that. So it's always just a little bit extra to be given back. Okay. So if you like this, that might be something you want to consider doing because we should be doing an AMA hopefully next week. Um, but the first question was from Mike, and it ties in nicely with what we're talking about. So Mike wanted to know your thoughts on this week's widely reported American Airlines close encounter. He's calling it a close encounter. So there's a he's going with that approach um, over New Mexico. Does the fact the airline has not denied the report indicate a new approach, given that airlines have denied such events in the past? We've kind of picked on that, Sean, but do you think, given how quickly this has happened, given what's come out already, this is a bit of a new approach, or is it just a one-off? I think it's it's an interesting question because it, it does kind of paint a perception of how things, that there is an approach, that, the, that American Airlines per se might have an approach to this and vice versa. I think that what we're seeing here is is actually we're seeing all of these different entities, whether it's the private sector, uh, whether it's the media or even the military, I think we're seeing a general uh, raise in awareness about the topic. And I think the media is more keen to pick up some of these stories if they're framed in a certain way. I think um, that certain apparatus and government are more willing to respond without a lengthy behind the scenes um, talk about it to try to find out what their policy is. I, I, I think we may be seeing the first parts of, of the, of the conversation actually shifting in, into the mainstream. Um, so I wouldn't say that there's a different approach just because that, that indicates that, that there's a plan in place by some of these entities on how to deal with this to begin with. And I still don't think that's necessarily true in most cases. Dan, do you want to follow up on that one? New approach for you? You're, you're ever the optimist anyway, and you always try to look at the positives and how this could be something new no matter what we do. What, what's your thoughts? As, as well as being an optimist, I, I like to try and be realistic. And I'd, I'd prefer them to take their time and get it right than to have another Roswell front cover newspaper um, and have statements that are retracted and muddy the water for decades and decades to come. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, while while I prefer, I want to know more, but I prefer they take their time and I kind of you know respect the process, so to speak. Let's be honest, people are probably going to be wanting us to speculate a little bit. So <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to ask. I'll go with Dan again first on this one, Dan. So we have an aircraft flying along, passenger plane. An object is some height above it. We're not too sure on the data yet, which, you know, our, our, our friend Lou Elizondo would say, you know, what's the data? David Marler I've just had on, let's look at the data. Chris Mellon, it's the data. We don't have that and we may not get that. However, nothing on radar, something at a considerable altitude above. Um, Mick West has, has been online and quoted, he believes it could have been a Learjet at a distance. I, I'm guessing that would have 
one, shown up on any kind of radar or, or systems with or instruments within the cockpit, and two, I would hope or assume these pilots would have also been able to identify another aircraft at altitude and not confuse it potentially with a cruise missile. When I hear cruise missile, immediately I'm thinking it was going quite fast at the height it was at. So we've got a cylindrical object at altitude going pretty fast. What could or couldn't this be, Dan? Um, the immediate kind of prosaic thing that springs to mind would be some kind of hypersonic missile. Um, there, there are technologies kind of being tested there. But again, you're in danger in commercial passenger planes. This has got to be such a comedy of errors to, you know, if it is, for example, say, like I said, a hypersonic missile, why would they be firing it across those places uh you know heavily trafficked air routes that's insane so whichever way you look at this it's oh, excuse my french but batch it sean uh, same same to yourself again people would immediately i suppose jump to could it be russian chinese testing something like that but again over commercial airlines the the, the hoops we have to jump through to make it make sense with with our with with any aircraft within the inventory right now to me seems a harder explanation a much harder explanation than calling it an unknown um i think that because calling it an unknown for so many people carries baggage with it that it that that means it falls into certain categories um i think for a lot of people that makes it much harder for them to say that there was an unknown and given that we're here for a specific topic, you know, I mean, I'm, I would be silly to continue to act like we weren't pretend, assuming this was, you know, is falling into the category we're talking about. But it could have been a missile. It could have been um, it could have been a number of things. I mean, we could go into the blue book type expl- swamp gas type explanations of sun dogs and other things like that. But like you and your audience, I tend to assume uh, and I think it's it's a pretty um, strong assumption to make that that the crew of this aircraft were the most qualified people at the time to tell us what they were looking at. Unfortunately, it's one of those things that I don't like. It's it's a one source, um, one source uh, story or or report. But we also have to take these folks at face value that that they are those trained observers that Luis and I keep talking about. That are, that are the masters of their dynamic environment as far as observation goes. And if they claim they saw a cylinder greatly exceeding their, their cruising speed in an altitude and a zone that it didn't belong, and we have now, an, we have an absence of data and an absence of radar or tracking information, um, they just don't point to a normal explanation to me. That leads nicely on to the next question from Ben. It's aimed at yourself, Sean. And of course, as often happens on this podcast, it's going to bring up blue. Um, But the first part of the question, Sean, is have any of your NDAs changed in any way? I can actually report. I I made a promise to you guys a long time ago. You guys being, you know, anyone I'm talking to on the other side of a camera, I guess, um, that if I ever did sign an NDA, you guys would be the first to know. So I fibbed, you guys are like the fourth to know, but I finally, I finally did sign an an NDA. Uh, But I can tell you that that NDA is only to protect the identity of of, of a witness. That's the only reason that it's there. It's um, the, the witness is fully interested in having the information be made public and, and be made open to everyone. They would just, they just ask that based on the stigma and, and their, 
they're we all know what we're talking about here they they don't want to be known in, in connection with this evidence so i finally have entered into an nda but that's the only nda that i've ever entered into in my entire life i'm guessing what that was getting at is there's people have naturally assumed with the nimitz princeton incident that everyone involved were, were signing ndas and as it's come out m- most people didn't did they I did not. I, I, there, I was never a, as the chief law enforcement officer and the anti-terrorism officer on board. And, and to put that into perspective for folks, some people might who were affiliated with the Navy or the military might say, oh, he was just such and such. But for the that's it, it can't be discounted easily. I reported directly to the executive officer and was responsible directly to the commanding officer. Um, so granted, my warfare area of responsibility technically ended when we passed the breakwater and then the protection of the ship, that mission became the mission of, of what we call surface warfare or, or basically the whole crew and the captain. Um, when we were, when we are in port, the anti-terrorism officer is responsible for the, the plans and everything else in regards to protecting assets. But <clears throat> what I'm trying to say here is that I was in the, I was in a position while not with a clearance that would have covered a program of record of our own, um, I, I would. There was information that I would have needed to know to operate the ship, and and I would have at least needed to help safeguard the information, if not the um, if not have to have been pr- exactly briefed myself. So, um, I guess what I'm trying to say with this, I, I feel like I've rambled a little bit, but. Um, I, I believe that I would I would have been briefed. I believe that Commander Fravor would have been briefed if if this um, if we'd had a, a way to respond to this properly. Am I? Did I lose yeah, the plot yeah, on that I, one? I, I feel you're answering the question, and the only way you're going to are going to be able to. So that that's fair. Yeah, I'll will take that. The next part of the question, I'm going to it is again aimed at Sean. This one from Ben still, but I'm going to ask Dan first. To get his thoughts, and I'll let Sean. I mean, it, think it makes of his... sense. I've I've never signed NDAs except I <laughs> I did one when I worked on Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Um, well, well, the wait, wait, I, there. I don't think that we should be discussing that. 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 <laughs> yeah, that's that's very high level to discuss on this podcast. You know, that's let's stick to strictly government government secrets. Um, but Dan, uh, Ben wanted to know uh, to Sean, but I'm going to ask yourself this as well to let Sean think of how he's going to answer this. Um, what questions do you think we should be asking Lou Elizondo? Uh, or what questions does Sean or yourself, Dan, think that Lou would like to be asked? Ooh. I suppose I mean, I, frame I, that I, with Lou's just done a few weeks of a media tour uh, pretty much through February, appearing on a lot of different podcasts, including this one, as people will no doubt have heard. So what do you think? I, I wouldn't like to assume what Lou would like to be asked. I, I think Sean is going to be a much better place to, to answer that one. Um, in terms of what I'd like to know, though, especially to give Sean a little bit of time to think, um, I, I'd like to know more about um, observables. Um, not necessarily that it has to be a list of, you know, Ten Commandment type things, but, you know, there, there are clearly common observables and we might not have gotten to them all. Uh, we, we already kind of came across a, a sixth one with biological effects. 
Um, and there are patterns in in these sightings that I think would be great to kind of sit down and talk talk with Lou about, um, <clears throat> especially when it comes to. Um, there was a, a case in Wales that, that Dave spoke about recently on a podcast um, that we did with. Uh, oh no, he he didn't do it on that podcast. I won't mention that. Um, but it, it was a case in Wales anyway, where uh, someone saw a craft go through a uh, rock. Yeah. Um, and you guys know that I'm kind of big on this kind of transmedium. We're missing one of the mediums type thing. Um, and I, I think it would be really interesting to to see what cases Lou came across that may involve things like that and, and where they are, i.e. Awesome. hotspots and things like that. We should have asked them, shouldn't we, Dan? Or, or maybe we did off air and we never put it in the show. Uh, Sean, <laughs> <laughs> Sean. so again, you, you're, you've obviously spent considerable time with Lou. Um, what do you think at this point? Lou's done a, a, a ton of media. He has been very open. I mean, that that's my opinion because some people would say he still isn't and he's the government guy and counterintelligence and keeping secrets. But I think anyone listening to any one of those interviews could have picked up 10 brand new, really good nuggets of information, at least, at least, that Lou talked about. And he went into things in greater detail than he has in the past. So he is opening up. At this point, if you were prepping Lou for his next run of interviews, say in the summer, what what would you be be asking Lou? Well, I, I the whole time now I've been smirking because I want to make a joke that I, that I want to tell you that Lou's really interested in talking about his feelings. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 but the funny thing is, is that is um, I actually think that Lou how Lou feels about things and what his opinions are, asking him those things um, are are actually possibly some of the most valuable questions folks could be asking him right now. Um, when it comes to technical data, I know that Lou is very, very comfortable um, sharing technical data that he's aware of and that he's allowed to share. Um, it's when that you get his creative juices flowing um, and when you ask him to involve his memory and his heart and, and where those things intersect with this this subject. That's where I found the most interesting answers from him, because that's where that's the closest I've come to being able to distill um conclusions out of out of some of these programs has been um approaching how he feels about certain subjects with dignity and giving him a chance to um to try to frame those things now that we have to be careful with that because with somebody like lou if 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 he gives you an opinion or a feeling and you go write that down as gospel and inform your personal worldview and then begin preaching to other people based on that you've done yourself a disservice you know this is this is this is back to some of that stuff we were talking about prior to the phone call in regards to consciousness that at the moment it's anecdotal. And so we, we're, we almost, except for a little bit of a, a up and down on an ECG or something like that, we rely on each other to tell each other the truth as we've experienced it. So I think that if, um, if I were looking ahead to this summer, um, I would want to know how I would really want to look back at his previous interviews and I would want to know how those things affected him. What were um, what were the what were the sixth observable effects on Lou of working around the phenomena for so many years? I'll write that one down as, as a question to ask him. Hopefully, I'm next time you're doing that right now, <laughs> <laughs> people will be tweeting that to Lou as soon as this drops. Lou, will he may not be happy with me, but that's I have to be honest with you. I think that's I think that's where where we'll find the most value. He might he might knock me over the head with a shovel for saying that. But. 
and, <laughs> and that's fine. We'll let Lou away with that one. Um, you're a big guy. You can take it. No, so, well, uh, he's fast. <laughs> ben, ben also asks one other question. Are there any, well, actually what Ben's put here is any GPS coordinates slash dates. Um, however, I, I will just frame that a little bit and ask about the, the uh, Catalin Islands. Um, which is a location that seems to have a lot of interest. Um, I believe you bumped into your friend Gary Voorhees on a ferry that was posted online, so that's no no secret. Um, what sort of locations are locations of interest? Let's say at the moment in this sub in this subject. Sure, I'd be happy to I'd be happy to share that. Um, there's a lot of places that have long histories of, of being what we might call hotspots. Uh, I think Catalina, the Catalina Island area, to, to even include all of the Channel Islands off the coast of California and Baja California, uh, to include Guadalupe Island, where the Princeton and the Tic Tac were, were nearby and where Lou and I investigated for unidentified. Um, all of those areas have, I would classify them as UAP hotspots, uh, just very simply on the testimony I've taken, let alone all of the, the literature I've read and studied in the area. Um, Gary and I, you know, jokingly presented ourselves as having bumped into each other on the ferry. I hope no one took that too seriously. Gary's from Florida and I'm from San Diego. That would have been a ridiculous synchronicity that was worth a lot more attention. We were, we obviously knew where we both were going and we were going there together, but uh, we were going to film a television show to discuss the events of, of, uh, of 2004. And um, that that's, you know, that's that's with the TV show. That's their proprietary information. Um, and by the way, if, for folks wondering, I guess that technically that's an NDA as well. But I don't consider entertainment related NDAs to be the type of thing most of us are interested in because uh, you're going to get to see the info in six months. And then when that NDA is up, I'll tell you everything that didn't end up in the show anyway. So um, <laughs> but talking hotspots for a second, I we Gary and I got out of the van at the at the hotel and the van was full and it was waiting to pick up a, a full load even during quarantine there uh the ferry was full going back and forth with 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 residents and, and people who were you know making a living so there were a lot of uh a lot of painters and and um construction guys and day workers and stuff like that that were around and uh we got out of the van and i just boisterously announced to the this huge group i don't mind i look the way i do so i already look weird to people so i don't mind going hey who's seen a ufo lately and you know you get a bunch of people who who kind of grumbled and were like who's this guy and i got three painters walk over to me and whip their phones out and they're like this they start holding up and they've got two green cylinders going across a photograph and it's a cruddy you know it's it's a one source thing i i have i have a i took a screenshot of his i literally took a picture of his phone because to me it's it's not earth shaking it's just another one to throw on the pile yeah you know but it was it was just for the evidence of look look what it's like when you just you just pop out of the truck and you just ask a group of people um and and we boom we got it and then the the bus driver um that drove us to our location for the shoot on the island uh, told me stories about her her children around a campfire and watching something come up out of the water and come to them at the campfire. And the next thing they remember is all is that the campfire was out and the sun was rising. And so it's it's these kinds of stories which a lot of us have have heard in 
in pop culture or in zeitgeist or read in books and things to hear them firsthand from people who are just going about their day making a living. Um, it was pretty shocking. I, I would have probably blown off the importance of a place like Catalina, like some people would, based on the fact that, well, if there was something there, we'd know about it, right? Well, everyone I talked to knew about it. Everyone I talked to who lived who lived out beyond just the harbor had seen something at some point. So I, th- I think we could we could whether we're talking the Unita Basin whether we're talking, you know, places throughout Great Britain that we, you know, we could name a hundred of them that, that people can consider hotspots and things like that. Maybe it's time. And then this is something that I've been trying, I've been talking to other um, podcast hosts about trying to engender is an idea of, we, we need to have a meeting of the minds of, of all aspects of this to include some of the reports that we may have thrown out before. It's time to start looking at everything and saying, well, what is a hotspot? Maybe it's where people keep saying they're seeing these things, you know? Absolutely. And when you talk about meeting of the minds, I know in a, in a couple of weeks' time, well, about six, seven weeks, maybe a little more, um, Luis Jimenez of the Unidentified Celebrity Review is having the big phone home. That's something, Sean, your name's attached to, uh, the podcast attached to it. Dan, you're going to be involved as well. So that's nice to see on that front so many people, a lot of them former guests of this podcast, other podcasts and all sorts of appearances, starting to come together on the subject. And I think that's something that's nice to see happening a lot more and more and I'm not precious that I have guests on this podcast. No, no one else should have them. Mines are the best. I like the fact that a lot of people are having the same people on, but managing to have different conversations and attach those conversations as well to different audiences, which is which is great. I, I love that in this subject. I know that's not for everyone, but I think more and more people are coming on board with that. So um, really good question from um, Graham next. I'm going to come to you on this one, Dan. Given what you've seen or heard about the UAP subject in the last few years, if you could advise your 16-year-old self about anything to do with the subject, what would it be and why? It's it's going to be cheesy, but I would I would just hug him and say it gets better. Like since since I'm I'm 35 now and since I'm I was 16, there's been a, a measurable shift in the way people kind of want to approach this approach this subject you know before we were happy with just kind of uh, one source stories now we're we're asking for more um <clears throat> and it speaks to how we've elevated the kind of the, the conversation and people like yourself showing you've been a big part of that um yeah I'll take that Sean what about yourself 16 year old Sean what, what must have been 10 10 12 years ago Jesus. Um, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm approaching 50 pretty fast. I'm 47. Um, I would have, uh, I would have tried really hard. I probably still would have given the chance cause I'm a bit of a sucker when it comes to thinking that you can break through the ice or break through the fog of something that someone else hasn't figured out. And that if you just present them with, with the truth that you've uncovered yourself, that you'll be able to set them free. And I keep, I keep having very bad responses from other people when I try to do that. Uh, Dan, actually, we've had a conversation similar to this before where I told him, I said, wow, I wonder what it would have been like as a young man, if I'd had friends like you. And, uh, and Dan had said to me that, uh, that he said, well, I don't think I would have listened to a damn thing either of us had to say was basically what he had, what he had said. (laughs) And so 
I would, I would actually try to convince 16 year old Sean, um, to learn to meditate, um, to stop looking to solve problems in the world and to solve problems within myself first. So I could actually recognize the problems outside of me for what they are and that they are just that everything in the world is an opportunity of, for choice, um, for me to choose who I am in that moment. I can't control the, the things that other people do. I can only control how I respond to them. And that choice in itself takes a, a reduction in momentum of, of the gears of your life, because most of us are in that fight or flight react mode to almost everything in our life. And it's very few and far between. Do we find the time to, to truly be mindful about something and to accept it and see it from all sides and then find out how we want to interact with it. We just get there and then make up a story to make it make sense to ourselves. So that's what I would try to tell him. He'd probably try to, he'd probably tell me to shut up and give him some money for cigarettes. Um, so <laughs> Do you know what? It's like I know meditation something you're a big advocate of, and on your YouTube channel, Minty Hyperspace, not only does it have goblin problems, the outro for the podcast, people should check that out, um, but it also has meditations, and you've just put one up not too long ago, and I uh, actually listened to it going to sleep, and I mean that in a, in a complimentary way, um, a, a couple of weeks ago at night time, I just hadn't slept too great for a few nights with the kids and all, and uh yeah, I put it on. It was very relaxing. So if anyone is looking to kind of get into that meditation, uh, as um, Luke, one of the listeners to the podcast, asked if he would narrate his life, and you've already agreed to that, Sean, um, then yeah, Sean's voice is very, very soothing to listen to, as you can probably tell. I'm going to chip in on that one as well. And if I could, I would, I know it would annoy me, and I would like to go back and annoy myself. And I'm, I'm coming up 35 in a few weeks, you know, 18th of March, send over the birthday cards, folks. No, don't. Um, you don't have my address, people. Um, if I could annoy my 16-year-old self, who was very much interested in this subject, I would just like to ask myself a question to give myself something to think about and then disappear. I would just say, Andy, what if it wasn't just aliens coming from other planets? What if there was something else? And then just leave it at that. And I think that would really annoy my my 16-year-old self. But yeah, that, that's just a thought um you you know you you've made me think you, you know that kind of the question you if you could time travel anyway where would you go i'd love to go meet myself when i was like four years old and just indulge in whatever fantasies that kid could talk talk me through i i think that would be fascinating to catch a glimpse of yourself before the patterning is yeah, of, of exactly. all the other you adults and politics and tv shows yeah that's that would be neat I can actually say I'm very lucky I can do that because I have a, a five-year-old in a few weeks who is basically a replica of myself at that age and he's horrendous to basically argue with a, a copy of myself every single day, but he's great. Um, Barry changes the, the subject slightly. Um, still on UAPs, of course, but he asks, where do you think the United Nations are, so the UN, on the UAP subject, with it being a well-documented worldwide phenomenon? Are they in a good place to bring the UAP phenomenon to the masses? What do you think, Sean? I I think that they're I think they're one of the organizations that if they choose to take the lead on this, they could change the way that the world sees this. Um, I think that in a lot of ways, people of our gen, our mixed generation, look at the UN in some ways. If you're, if you're not very educated on what their day-to-day -day operations are, you're like, oh, well, isn't that just another failed attempt at world government? 
And I, I've never looked at it that way. To me, the United Nations was a way to try to get nations to work together to regulate where where unity couldn't happen. At least we could have cooperation. Um, you know, across international lines. So I think that as we as we move into not to be too cliche about globalism, globalism and all that, since those things have become polarizing words, I, I think we all know that as as the boundaries between information and travel fall, the boundaries between language and culture fall more. And as those things happen, we, we see more homogenization of culture. So without getting into the politics of changing government or sovereignty or tribalism, I think that the UN is, is actually uniquely situated to go out amongst the, all of the, the countries of the world and, begin, and educate the countries that maybe aren't at the table with China, the United States, you know, the various coalitions throughout Europe and, and, uh, and Russia. Um, there, there are countries that have large populations that may feel like they don't get a say in this topic because they may not be technological or ecological giants, or they may not have vast reserves to offer. So this may be the only chance for them to give their informed consent and opinion on this topic. I mean, you look at countries like, and when you think of countries, one that doesn't instantly spring to mind, but I believe Nicaragua has just created, is it, is it, I might get this totally wrong, but Council for like Extraterrestrial Studies. It, it's something along those lines, if I've got that right. Dan, you might know better than me, or you might be able to Google that for us, but you're nodding, yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's something that's really interesting as well, that a country is coming out and just using that language, even without going into detail on what it is. One thing I could slap myself for not bringing up, I researched a lot before the Lou Elizondo came on the podcast and he mentioned with yourself on Ryan Sprague somewhere in the skies that there was an international organization interested in approaching this subject at that level that was all he said and nothing was followed up on and I forgot to mention it on my podcast do you know much on that Sean I don't I'm not that's not um my swim lane as they say um, that's something that I, I've, I've heard the comment as well. I look forward to seeing more information in regards to that. But I think I would imagine that um, when we hear things like that, that's the uh, the tip of the iceberg kind of comment. I assume that there's quite a bit more underwater that we um, that we wait, you know, to see the light of day. Cool. That's fair. Uh, next question from Tim. This one goes a little bit more out there, but it's always nice to kind of change tact. Um, wouldn't the most effective way for a species or aliens, let's just say, to conquer a galaxy to be through genetics? A patient creature with focus more on the collective than the individual could eliminate any enemy by breeding into them, thereby over generations, turning them into us, so to speak. Perhaps all the UFO stuff is merely an absurd distraction and humans are already on the losing end of a genetic war while trying to determine what all these shiny lights are. So Tim's going with the uh, UFOs, lights in the sky, all, all of that are you know, distractions and are potentially some sort of genetic experiment going on in the background. I mean, even for this podcast, I tend not to go too out there. I'm happy to classify that as a little more out there. However, given the nature of what we discussed, you can't dismiss anything. So, Dan, I'll, I'll bring you in on that one first. Um, I mean, you know, I've, I've looked into uh, Eric von uh, Danikens. Did I get the name right? I think so. I'm going to leave a bit of silence so you can... Oh, no, I made it nothing. Um, yeah, that's... Oh, <laughs> yeah, no. yeah you, you, you were right. You got it right. 
<laughs> Eric von Daniken, yeah. Um, you know, I, I've looked into his theories. Um, yeah, I've, I've read the stories um, that go kind of way back uh, that talk about us coming from that kind of lineage. And he, he's right. That would be a very effective way of um, of, of doing that. But for me, I can't help but think of the other side as to the as to want to know the the why a species would want to do that. For us, it's just merely the act of reaching the tip of the mountain. But for another species, there could be overarching reasons. Um, and when we're discussing whether things are a threat or not, um, it's it's good to know the intent and the motivation behind that. Sean, genetics. You know, I think that the as a as a as an investigator as a tra- as a trained investigator i i feel that there's there's a lot that's like you brought the crime to me first instead of the evidence and that's the way we you know we have crimes we have laws but we don't we don't have see let me, let me put it differently that's a that's a heck of a way to look at it and i don't mean that condescendingly because i'm just i'm well educated in in the zeitgeist of this just as much as you guys and your fans are so i know what he's talking about i'm not going to pretend that that i don't know what he means and that i don't know the sources of a lot of that information i mean you've you've got a a mainstream channeler with a a well-known movie who in the middle of his movie he cops to all of the abductions and then apologizes quickly for it and moves on to his, to the space brother talk saying that they got over that and sorry about it. And, you know, if, if those are where we're getting the information on this from, I can't, I I don't know how to, where to go with the, the investigation. Now I'm not going to be so facetious to say that's the only place we find this information. We're getting this information from what we would call firsthand eyewitness accounts of people who, who claim abductions. And um, as I've talked about in a couple of other podcasts recently, that's a huge spectrum of, of, of different descriptions, different actors, different vehicles, different circumstances, different motives, um, different perceptions of intent, all of these things across the board, I have not been able to find continuity other than something is happening. So while that, I think it's a really interesting line, I could pick 10 people out of a crowd and they could come to me with a just as interesting um, trickle down kind of idea of, do you think it's this? And <clears throat> that goes back to the question of, are we dealing with many things or one or a control structure or, you know, it's, it's too, to me, it's too complicated and too many vectors for us to pin this down into one quick motive. I mean, that would be, that would be one of the 50 movies we could make about this and, and point at it and say, that's what it is. Yeah, and that, that, yeah. yeah, definitely. And I think it follows on to a question that I've got coming up um, soon. Uh, actually, do you know what? Let me jump to that question next because I think it may tally and then I'll make my point I was going to make then ask the question. When you talk about the phenomenon uh, and it's that umbrella and engaging the phenomenon, the channel, uh, they, they are next ask UFO Twitter, which I'll be a part of, is phenomena or phenomenon? And more and more people have talked about places like Skinwalker Ranch and this umbrella encompassing, you know, it could be ghosts, werewolves, Bigfoot, UFOs, aliens, abductions, greys, you know, light beings, orbs could all be connected. Some could be false, all could be false, all could be true, who knows, but we don't know. But there's so much speculation with that as well. You could even go into those discussions on different 
groups, and this is what the question is going to get to, say there were different groups of entities, some biological, some spiritual, there were greys, reptilians, you hear about lizard people and Nordics, all those different weird and wonderful descriptions, do they all know each other exist? So the question John comes to with is, is what do you believe the chances are that it's only one other, and he's doing the air quotes, that we seem to interact with versus several different groups, some of who may be coordinated, some of which don't even know that others exist, and some of which are acting against each other. So I think that question probably follows nicely on to the point you were making, Sean. And I'll keep with you, Sean, on that one then. So what do you think the chances are that or your opinion, is it a couple of different things? Would there potentially be groups coordinating, groups against each other? It's, it's an interesting thought. I like that question. I do too a lot um, because it. what I like about it is, is it looks at the entire entirety of the phenomena, not just from a ra- quote-unquote rational or national security or pragmatic aspect, but it looks at the entire zeitgeist of it and it tries to wrap its head around what are we seeing as a general whole. Um, I like that. Now I'm torn between two, two extremes. I I find duality often useful when it comes to, to trying to figure these things out, because then you can fill in the two bookends, so to speak. So on the one hand, let's assume that it's, let's, let's say that it is one phenomena. Um, and I don't want to, I'll expand. I'm also doing the, doing, probably doing a video for engaging the phenomenon. I just haven't told him. Yes. I just asked him when it was due, (laughs) but, um, there could be one overarching control structure that is so immensely powerful that it influences how we see this thing and the universe. Now, whether you want to call that the matrix, uh, God with a little G or a big G or, a simulation or something else. That's again, that's a semantics argument to me. I don't think it really has a lot of meaning past if it's true past a, a certain spot, but if it is one thing and it controls our consciousness, it's kind of moot to discuss what it might be. Now, if we are within a physical universe that seems to obey the laws that most of the laws that we seem to have done the math on so far, I don't think it's, um, a crazy possibility to think that we're dealing with just a lot of different stuff in a very large and dynamic universe. I do believe that based on the fact that we're here, that the possibility of there being other habitable planets with sentient life out there that, that yearns to expand, um, that wouldn't surprise me. I, I could I could give them any motive upon our whole spectrum as to why they might want to expand, whether it was we have a manifest destiny in our own hearts to want to expand out. You know, every, every country is always looking for more territory and resources and things like that for its people. It's a very human thing, but um, whether we're dealing with a multiverse full of everything that comes with a multiverse, which I think a lot of folks, when they say alien, like if we have a multiverse and there, there is a tangible other Sean somewhere else. Um. And he comes in a variety of different Seanness, let's say, at this at this moment in existence across all of these universes. I imagine some of them are just as interested in this topic, but maybe they're not as nice as I am, or maybe they have different motives or different ideas across that spectrum of experience. So it gets really esoteric. I mean, I can't say what we're dealing with or, or what I feel it is most. I I 
I think I hope it's the universe with aliens and multiverse and things like that. Because for a lot of people, psychologically, the idea that there's this edifice of you don't get to know what's going on, that's it. Past a certain point, that's that makes you feel like you're trapped within something, and that's a crappy feeling. So if you're not on that blissful feeling that some people get on where they where life is a journey and every flower is beautiful and every every breeze tickles their skin you can feel like you're trapped somewhere so those i think at the end of the day maybe we're just talking about the human condition <laughs> do, do you know what i mean you've you've given a really lovely detailed and eloquent answer i'll just say for people if you want to know my thoughts i would love it to be a bit like rick and morty that's it, where there are all these different possibilities and like you say, there's infinite Sean's and they're all slightly different and there's different Andes and Dan's out there and different variations of our universe and who knows, maybe that's what Lou talked about when he talked about these intersections in time when we see things and maybe they're there all the time, maybe they're not, who knows, but yeah, I mean, to really dumb it down, I would I would love it to be a kind of Rick and Morty-esque. Dan, what's your thoughts on that question from John then about potentially different groups? Um, is it all under one umbrella? Different groups? Do they know each other? Coordination? So I know you love your fish analogy, so I'm going to go for one here. I feel you've had um, this prepared. <clears throat> um, so if, if you imagine you're a fish swimming through the ocean and you see a thing just on what you know is the top and something's poking through, we know from our perspective that many different things can do that. But from the fish's perspective, they would just define it as the thing that pokes through. Now, it could be a Coke ball, it could be a foot, it could be a centipede, it could be a slice of bread, you know. There is a huge variation of things, um, a huge variation of experiences as well, that for me point to multiple phenomena. But again, we're dealing with something that can affect us on a, a consciousness level. So it's really tough to, to say anything definitive about it. In general, I, uh, I tend to agree with with Dan. That's yeah. uh, as far as my feelings go. Yeah, I, I like that poking through on, on the water, you know, the surface and the fish. That's yeah, fish analogies are awesome. I, I'll I'll go with fish analogies. All day. <laughs> I don't you like that? Yeah, Andy, let me let me ask you. Um, I want to ask your opinion on something. I think it's I think it relates to this because Dan and I talk about the ocean analogy sometimes, and I kind of I'm not saying this to make anyone angry, but I kind of personally want to stop using the phrase experiencer. Um, I, amongst my friends, I almost even want to start using the word noticer because I, I thought about it and I realized that this is a process that is a, that if we are deciding together to agree from this part, this point forward, that this is a phenomena, it is occurring. Well, then that makes it natural because whether we like it or not, you know, an aircraft carrier is natural. It's a tool made by an advanced ape. You know, it's part of the natural scheme of things. It's not poking in from somewhere else. And we're like, where did this come from? Mm -hmm. um, it's no different than a shovel or a tool. So a Tic Tac is a tool as well. You know, that kind of thing to me. So I'm, it, that doesn't bother me so much. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, it's like when we say experience, I don't go down to the ocean 
and see a pod of dolphins jump out of the water and run home with my mind blown going oh, holy crap I, I just experienced the following phenomena and it's that's because i've seen this pod of dolphins before I, or i've read it in books i've heard about it it's been normalized for me i wonder how much of this granted we're interested in who's driving it especially if they're vehicles and they have sentient occupants that we feel like we could be able to relate to but I, I feel like I want to shift that focus away from experiencer because it does give you a special puff your chest out badge feeling sometimes when you're like, well, I did, I've experienced a thing. The rest of you haven't. It's like, no, nah, maybe you just noticed something. I, I'm really starting to wonder at that. And I'm one of those people. I'd be the first person I'd tear that moniker off of. So. I, li- I like the idea that it's taking away that special badge and special, you know, presentation of it that, do you know what, if we stop treating it as special, then maybe it's just something that, you know what, it, it, like, if it was almost mundane, that would be great because then it would be studied like all those other mundane things. And that's not to say it is mundane. That might be the wrong word. But like you say, it's taken off that label from it that we've given it and let's look at it in a different way. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be all for that. And it's that. I've, but then again, you get people go to Disney World, don't you, and go on a roller coaster and tell you it's an experience when other people might come off that roller coaster and go, it was just a roller coaster. I've been on loads. Well, I think it's that that's that feeling of specialness that comes with it leads some people to very quickly assign meaning to it. And then they want to tell people who have not noticed the same thing that when and if you encounter it, it must have this meaning. And so that that overt, almost forced validation of experience, uh, frankly, where other people, so I'm using the word experience again, so I might get, someone will ping me for that, but they, so maybe, maybe I can't get rid of the word that easily, <laughs> but someone ha, has claimed to experience something, but now for them to maintain their psychological safety around it, they need other people to identify as having had the same experience and they need to, to push that template out there on others to say, well, when you encounter this, this is what's happening. Here's where they're from and this is what, what they mean. And so we've lost sight of our objectivity on, on a lot of these things because I, I have a hard time investigating a lot of these things without someone giving me an accompanying philosophy. Yeah, and even even with those where I don't subscribe to people giving it this is what it is, which we all know, I think, by now on this podcast, that I say enough, I don't like when people are too certain about this subject. If you even look at, let's just pick something about out there, but abductions, there are a lot of people who go on about how the experience was wonderful, incredible, it was life-changing, they found out about, you know, plans for global and galactic peace, but then you have other people who are absolutely traumatised for life, who relive those moments over and over and over again, they have recurring nightmares, they have recurring abductions, and it is like a a permanent horror movie, and you get those people just want wish it had never happened they want to forget about it whereas you've got others who wish the love and light beings from alpha 5 would come and take them to their wonderful planet of light somewhere you know off in the distance so so yeah it's it's totally different for everyone and again there's also those who just want to sell books off the back of it so it helps to label some of these things too um sean's new book is out next week for, no i'm just kidding he's not got a book out yet um i don't have time to write a book I, <laughs> not yet wish. It would be a good book, though. Uh, listen, next question, we'll come to Dan on this one, uh, is from Erin. Erin asked me to try and sum up the... She, she gave us a, a nice little paragraph here. But essentially, she thinks back to 2017 when that New York Times article came out. 
and she was freaking out about it, sending out links to friends. But a lot of our friends, and I'm sure we can all relate to this, weren't necessarily interested in the fact the New York Times had just declared the US government confirms basically UFOs are real and they have studied and are studying them. And she just wonders what has to change to get those people involved in the conversation to avoid those blank stares? Or do you think at the moment you can't change those people's minds and opinions around and that we have to wait on something else and what she said is based on the response from her own friends and people around she thinks it would take the old ufos landing on the white house lawn to get anyone's attention dan i'll come to you first on that one because we speak about this kind of thing quite regularly yeah we do um i i have a group of six or so friends who generally i would say before 2017 had had no interest in this subject it was my thing I hadn't really kind of pushed it on them um, but I did the same thing come come that article I kind of started throwing it in their face as much as I could you know now I disguise links and tell them it's you know a funny video and it takes them to the newest UFO article it's kind of become a thing <clears throat> but I've had such a kind of wide gamut of responses from them um, so about three of them same same as Aaron's friends just don't care or at least aren't engaging back with me whether they're thinking about it on their own time after I've planted the seed, I don't know. But it's always worth talking to people because you could be doing that, you know. Um, then there's another guy, uh, Mike, who has completely engaged me on it. Um, I found out his wife, who I've known for a number of years, has had a, a sighting um, in Death Valley in America. Um, and they're all fascinated by this subject. Um, so... That was an interesting one. And then the one that always sticks with me is a friend of mine, Adam, who said to me, you know what, it's interesting, but I don't care unless you can tell me what it is. And I thought that was interesting because he he wants the answer, but he's just busy. He's got stuff to do. And sometimes that that is what it comes down to for people. And, and Sean, the same to you. And I guess you're coming from a perspective of you were involved in a rather famous incident um i was almost going to use experience there but i don't want to upset you uh but you you, you know you you were part of that nimitz princeton what seven to ten day event that has now become rather famous the modern day roswell some people want to call it like me and dan um what are your thoughts then because you've had that happen in your life and it's gone on to become a huge part of your life to, to the point you're at where you're at now how have you dealt with that and those conversations with the people around you? Um, I didn't always deal with it well um, early on. And, and frankly, in my, um, in my youth, things that I felt really strongly about, I never really dealt with them well when it came to people who disagreed. Um, I was one of those people who, if I had a specific uh, feeling on the war or politics or whatever it was, I was, I, I made sure to be loud about it and, and um, you know, uh, get my opinions out there. I think in the, in retrospect, that was me covering for the fact that I had never learned a thing about the others, the other team or, or the other group or the other opinion. And so I was just protecting my own ignorance at the time. But um, I think that we, there's people that don't care. There's people that it doesn't matter what the, what it is about it that you could show them or explain to them or prove to them or, or any of those things that, that people might say, they're not interested. 
Um, for some of those people, not all of them, but for some of those people, it's my experience that it's because there are some of the, the larger cascading ideas and issues behind this that have to do with selfhood, um, spirituality, uh, the, the foundations of our belief systems to even mean physics and math and all of those other things. I don't think a lot of people take into account that every single one of those aspects will be shaken by a hard yes or no on this subject. Um, that all of them, if you haven't taken the time to look at how each of the aspects of our society will, will feel a seismic shock go through them after these decisions made, then you haven't really looked at this because they're there. If, if yes, then is how this, this is going to begin. Once we discuss, we decide if, if this is true, then the following may be true. And if this is here, then the following effects may be the following. So what, what's most important to me right now and what I spend my days doing is actually trying to think of why would these different people in my life or these different demographics in our society, where could they find an interest in this subject? And some friends of mine, Dan included, were having some recent conversations, uh, some, some roundtables talking about this and talking about there, there are up until this point, I haven't spent a lot of time talking about the technology. Um, other than the fact that if in the hands of an aggressor or an op opponent, it, it, it presents a national security threat. However, there are, if the technology, the answers that cascade out of the observations of this technology also tell us that there are things here that do have serious repercussions on going along. They could really fix our environment in a lot of ways. They're not a panacea. They're not, um, they're not a, uh, they're not a band-aid that's going to solve all of our problems, but room temperature, the idea of room temperature, um, superconducting, the idea of hyper, the energy behind hypersonic travel um, and the technology that may or may not behind, be behind some of these more esoteric metamaterials that have been reported. Those things point to an ability to take care of our species in a way that we never have before with a level of, of safety, satiety, uh, and luxury that could, could, it would make the industrial revolution look like a drop in a bucket compared to the, the cultural, spiritual, and artistic revolution that would come out of a species that no longer had to hunt for its meal or worry about who was going to hunt them. Let me pick, there's a lot of things I could pick apart on that just to go on in different tangents, but I'm going to ask you this just to keep in line with the question. Those people who don't seem to have an interest or care about the subject or are very dismissive of it, not the ones who are just a bit scared of it or don't know too much, don't get involved. Let's think about those ones who don't care. And like Dan said, he's got three of his friends, point blank, no interest. You've had that. In five years' time, the US government, let's just go with the US because they're the, the, the market leaders, the world leaders as when it comes to the subject at the moment. The task force develops to a point where they come out and say, okay, We've worked out uh, through mainstream science and whatnot. This is what's happening. Here's what's been going on. Here's the gist. Here's where these things are from. Here's what they do. Here's how they can help. Is it going to matter? There are groups of people who still wouldn't care. Uh, are there going to be people, in your opinion, that can avoid this subject still if the truth came out? Let's, uh, yeah, I think there will be people who will avoid the subject when it's in their face. We can look at our society and, and, and agree that, that the majority of our problems are out there right for all of us to see them. And in fact, so are, so, the, so are the solutions to many of them. 
And um, we casually walk by them as if they were the, the, you know, someone else's dog mess on a lawn that's not our problem. Um, then again, uh, there, there's, there's, I don't want to avoid the question that people are kind of asking is, where will this be in our society five years from now? I think that for a great many of this, this will be another fact. But um, to and I, when I say a great many, I think to the mo- to the informed portions of our society, this will be a fact five years from now, and probably be something that has just truly created a renaissance in, in certain parts, if not the whole of our of our society. But at the same time, um, there's people that are just completely ignorant of anything outside of a 50 mile radius of their hometown. And I don't mean that to be rude flying back and forth across the country during quarantine and seeing all of the, the, the unpopulated land in between the places that I was going to just reminded me of the fact that any one of us could live an entire lifetime given the right location and never bump into another human being. So if that's the case, is any of this important to any of us? And um, not to get too existential with it, but I think there's some folks that are always going to look around and they're not going to worry about a war in a foreign land or a famine in another continent or, or even a crime in another city that a lot of people are focused completely on their bubble. And I don't want to say that they're selfish and narcissistic. I'm just saying that, that in that case, that may be if that's what they choose to make important to them, this subject may never become important to them. And, and I know there'll be people out there thinking when it comes to the phenomenon that these beings, entities, whatever they may be, like you said, could potentially change us for the better. And one day they will. There's the argument, isn't there, Dan? We've talked about that, you know, if there was a nuclear war, these these things would come and stop it. These things would stop the missiles. But it's a bit like walking past someone in the street who's homeless. You could offer to help. You could, I mean, you could take them home. You could give them money that you don't need. You could not buy that new TV and help someone out, but you don't. You walk past them generally. You might give something, but you, you choose not to help and you, you paint in your mind you know, a reason why you shouldn't necessarily help these people. What if we are just that? What if we are the, the homeless person on the side of the street and these other entities just go past us going, what's the point? They've done this to themselves. So you, you don't know. That's that's probably a bit of more of a negative way to look at it, but I don't subscribe to the love and light section section of things that some people do um i want to go into the next question dan i'm going to aim this one at you um no pressure but i know this one is one you'd made some notes on in preparation for this show uh, not that you have to dig into those uh, from brendan he was asking about bob bigelow's interview with george knapp he made some comments on bob lazar um, where he done a lot of umming, eyeing, and uh, nose scratching and buying for time, it sounded like, in formulating his answer. Um, did it make you believe more in Bob Lazar's story, more or less, or did it change it at all? Um, and Brendan doesn't think he was encouraged that Bob Bigelow believed in Bob Lazar's story too much, given how he responded. Um, I, I will say that before we came on, I did get to listen to a little bit of the the Rogan interview. Um, And Bigelow does speak about it more on the interview because Joe Rogan interviewed Lazar um, and knows a lot of details. So he's kind of bringing things up to to Robert Bigelow. Um, One of the things that wasn't kind of brought up point blank um, in the NAP interview was uh, on the subject of 115, um, Alamont 115, that is. Um, And in this interview, Bigelow just point blank said he knew nothing about it. Um, so for me, 
I'm kind of starting to lean to the side that this is something that happened, you know, many, many moons ago. Um, it's one of many, many things that is going on in Bigaloo's life. Um, and it kind of feels a little bit like a, a, someone trying to recall a, a faded memory, you know? Um, it, it doesn't seem like Bigelow's biggest priority um, and hasn't been for a long time. So I, I wouldn't put too much uh, too much stock in basing your belief on what Bigelow said in these uh, recent interviews. Uh, and Sean, I asked you this, so it seems like a lifetime ago now, back in the second episode of the podcast, if you just wanted to fresh, what, I don't know if it's changed at all in that time, but what are your thoughts in general on the, the Bob Lazar story? Well, I think I, the more nuanced answer at this point would be that if if I were the investigating officer that were looking at, at, at his story as a whole, um, I wouldn't reopen the case. I just haven't seen anything that's come out since the initial claims um, that were made that would lead me to reopen the case. Um, there's been a lot of, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to make any, I, I don't have, I don't have anything positive to, to put on it. Um, I just, I don't find value for myself. And so I haven't spent any time putting any further investigation into it. Very nice of you to use the word investigation at the start and end of that, as uh, the question coming up next from Walker was from uh, your own investigations of the phenomena, has your view or, or paradigm on the true nature or fabric of reality changed at all? Hmm. That would, uh, the, the, the easy answer is yes, but it keeps changing. Um, it's changed a lot in my life. Um, I'm happy in my own skin now. Um, I don't know that I ever was an individual who felt happy in his own skin before. Um, the last couple of years and the, the, the research and learning that I've done on the side that I felt was important to this have led me to, um, to just be a more happy and balanced individual. But that was because where I came from, from came at this from was I wanted to, be, I felt that if I was, going to truly investigate something that is misunderstood, unknown, abnormal, anomalous, et cetera, then I was going to need to know exactly who I was, how I felt, where my boundaries ended, you know, what, what do I feel like? And that, and that means what do I feel like when I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm upset, I'm angry, I'm jealous. What does that feel like in my body, in my head? And, and am I not so much in total control of it, but am I at least willing to acknowledge those boundaries? Because if I, in, if I encounter the unknown and given all of the evidence we've seen on this, I'm going to need to know where I end and it begins. Um, so I've had philosophical beliefs before. And I say belief because to me, uh, I, the only things that I believe in are things that I can't prove to you or, or Dan. Um, because if, if I can prove it to you, and if we agree on that proof, it's no longer a belief, it's a truth. Um, so I've got things in, in, that I've experienced that I can't prove to other people. So those might be my beliefs, but those beliefs are open to change. So yes, I, my, everything about the way I look at the world has changed uh, based on my interactions with, my research on, and the things I've come to know about the phenomena. 
And, and I'll say, Sean, before I ask Dana's opinion on this, like you were my second guest on the podcast and we talked at length after we even recorded and you spent a lot of time chatting to him about the subject and the phenomenon and your thoughts. And that really helped me prepare for what the rest of the podcast was going to be. And that fluid opinion is something that I've carried with me through this. And as I've heard other guests and people have made points or brought something up, it's allowed me to take bits and pieces that no one should have a complete view of what this is unless they are that person in the know. And if, if Louis Elizondo and Chris Mellon don't know everything, then I don't know who does. So people should allow their opinions to change and be fluid and you know listen to little bits of what everyone says, but make up your own mind ultimately. But be prepared that next week that could all be different and that that's something that really helped me in kind of finding my way in this subject as well uh dan as someone i, I know you're really interested in the reality of things and uh you know you've you've shared some experiences on the podcast before and some people will have heard those but there's a lot of people who won't have heard those yet so what what's your thoughts on you know the nature or fabric of reality and has your perception of it changed over the years hugely um like sean said it's it's developing an idea and part of this is that you get to a point where you're okay with the juggling balls just staying in the air forever because you have to be because some of this stuff i'm not gonna get an answer in in my lifetime from a scientist as to what exactly the nature of my reality is and whether you see it differently to me and, you know, how the fields interact and so on and so forth. But I might know when I go through it, I almost had experience there. I might know when I notice it. That's, that's what I should say. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, it's always a developing idea. You, you can't, can't stop. There, there was a line, Andy, we, we spoke about this. This was one of the first things we spoke about uh, was a film, uh, Loch Ness. Um, I grew up watching it and there's like a little bit of trivia that Andy, uh, do, do you want to say? <laughs> um, I, I took a blank on this one, but we literally just spoke about this the other day, didn't we? Uh, yeah, go on. What was it? It was the little girl. Oh, the, the, the girl I went to school with? Yeah, that's right. What was that? Um, so the the line I remember from this film, it's about um, Loch Ness and Nessie, and this uh, American scientist comes over and he he's doing this investigation, uh, played by Ted Danson in a in a thrilling uh, uh, turn, um, and he yells at the little girl at some point that it's better to have an idea than a belief because an idea can grow and change, mm. and that's always always stuck with me. And that film is kind of like. It was weird to me that we spoke about that and that's what we connected on because it's a really dear film to me specifically because of that line. Um, and I, I think this subject kind of schools people in that way. If, if you're not prepared to have your ideas grow, then you're going to end up, you know, rubbing Tibetan balls on YouTube asking for coins. And to think Ted Danson never won an Oscar for his role as Mr. Dempsey in the hit movie Loch Ness, um, or Nessie, I think it was called in the US. Uh, listen, one or two more questions, and then there will be uh, an exclusive for the patrons of some more listener questions. So if you want to sign up to hear a little bit more from Sean and Dan, uh, please do that. Uh, there's a lot of extra content on there as well, all ad-free and stuff, folks. Um, but it's been great hearing from everyone, and thank you at this very late notice to send in so much for the guys. Um, I know the listeners wouldn't let us down, and obviously you guys haven't either. Um, 
Dave had the question uh, straight to the point. Does the panel, uh, he's been very nice calling you the panel, um, think that Lou Elizondo is hinting more at crypto terrestrials or the ultra terrestrial hypothesis now? Um, what do they make of his explanation of two different times coexisting? Sean, I don't know if you'd managed to, to listen back and I don't know if Lou's told you that um, explanation and maybe in person even before about the cigar or cigarette burning. So you might be be aware of that one of how time can intersect. What what are your thoughts on his explanation? How do you make sense of that? On Lou's explanation? Yeah. Oh, oh you, you've said on Lou's explanation. Is that because... Oh, or, or did you mean on the uh, on the one of the, on the, the difference between crypto and ultra? Oh, so um, either first, so crypto or ultra. What are your thoughts? And then, obviously, about the explanation of of how time exists. I'm gonna give. I'm not. I'm not gonna give a direct opinion on that because I think that we need to get rid of all those terms, uh, or 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 we need to define what they mean. Because, like a crypto terrestrial, and the people that I've seen that study crypto terrestrials, they they study them under the umbrella of crypto terrestrial, and. It, here's let me let me sum it up like this a friend of mine recently asked me do you believe in ghosts and i and i was for the ease of conversation i said well yeah in the same way i believe in in ufos and she said okay good and i said why and she said well i was asking a friend recently and they were telling me all about ufos and then when i said do you believe in ghosts they said no nah, that's crap and that that kind of attitude of of not being willing to accept that, ah, man, what am I trying to say here? Um, man, it was a lot simpler in my head a second ago. <laughs> what, what, what's his question to the point again? And I'll just answer it succinctly without giving a, um, a do you book. think he was hinting more at crypto terrestrial ah. or ultra terrestrial hypothesis? Where are either of those things when they're asleep at night? I don't know. So what's the difference? It's like if if I got a lot of people that want to tell me that that Bigfoot is is an ultra dimensional, and I got other people that say no, he's a crypto terrestrial, and this guy over here tells me no, he's an Australopithecine offshoot, and this guy is like no, it's Gigantopithecus, and again, we don't have one, so it's like all the folks that are like have these books on taxonomy, and they're they're worried about the semantics. I'm like, let's just get some physical evidence and something more that then. And I'm not, I know there's a lot of physical evidence, and there's people that get upset. They're like, we have mounds of it. I'm like, yeah, but I don't have it here, and it's in a thousand books at the library and in people's garages. We got to get it in front of the academians or the academics who didn't believe in this. So it's the the belief has to come first. We can't keep every time I bring up science, we can't shoot down science for not having fixed it before. Because science is going to turn to the experiencer community and go, well, you didn't convince us yet, you know, and, and we we may not have the evidence, but you haven't convinced us, it, you know, so we're all still stuck yelling, you pointing at each other. So the difference, but I don't think Lou's pointing at anything. I think Lou's trying to get everybody to learn about all these different things and realize that pointing at anything is just that thing, that it's more, it's more of an open your eyes to this. I don't think there's, we're ever going to find a simple explanation. Like multidimensional is the closest I've ever come to something that covers enough of it. But as soon as you get something that comes in from Mars in, in universe C-137, that's an alien, you know, or is it? Because again, is it alien if it's from the solar system? Because we're so wrapped up about borders. I'm like, is it, is it from San Diego when it's a mile away from me, when it's still in the County? Does it become Californian when it, you know, all these distinctions we have, I'm like, let's just find, let's just get a Bigfoot and talk to it. Let's just ask a, a spaceship to land or, or a multidimensional to stick around long enough for a podcast. 
and it's that so, whole is, is it mankind or mankinds you know um and, and when i did ask lou about that he brought up his explanation of the cigar burning or a cigarette burning mm-hmm. and what, what are your thoughts on how you understand that I've always explained that as if uh, my analogy of that is we, we live our life as if we're a, we're a, a, a record, an LP, and, and we are not the record. We think we're the song, but we're really the needle. You know, first of all, we're the needle. We're the moment in time that we're, that we're focused on right now. That record is our entire existence. Right now, we only notice and hear where the needle is. It doesn't mean the remainder of the songs or the symphony that's on that album, the B-side, et cetera, that they don't exist and they're not just as beautiful and dynamic. But right now, our needle is only focused on the now and it's in the middle of the song that we're playing together. And would you suggest then if we are the needle that someone could also change the record and the song would change, but the needle doesn't? I think that there's a possibility that our, our needle can possibly skip around at times. Um, I think that sometimes the record can play backwards. I think it can play at a speed that goes too fast. And um, I'm not even, I'm not sure if we're the one that controls if I don't feel like Sean is the one that controls the needle right now, but I also don't feel like someone else necessarily skips my needle around. I feel like I have more learning to do about controlling that needle and understanding why it's playing the song that it is. And Dan, your thoughts on that one? Obviously, you were you were on the interview with me. Uh, you were really kindly being, as Dan jokes about my Jamie, uh, producing that one for us in the background, taking notes and timestamps, and it was very, very useful on that interview below. Um, so Dan does a lot of that work for me, which is amazing and really helps out. But what were your thoughts? Because you got to listen to it at the time, but you were sort of working, and then you went back and listened to the interview again afterwards, and like, like myself, picked up so much that you don't just get in the moment. So what... How did you make sense of Lou talking about that concept of mankind, mankind's and and how time may work? So the the mankind's thing for me has, you know, I kind of skew towards the the stranger side of things um, in terms of where I suspect, uh, you know, things may be going. But the, the mankind's question to me was always about prompting a broad open mind and kind of really deeply thinking about that question because not many of us do. And like Sean said earlier, there are, there are huge implications for it. So I think part of it is Lou trying to open people's minds up to that question properly. Um, and to, to almost kind of point out that at a certain level, it stops mattering because when we're ready for that moment, we're not going to be asking that question. We're not going to be, you know, meeting, I don't know, say a gray from Zeta Reticuli and kind of going, are you mankind? You know, like we're just going to be facing what's in front of us. Um, and like Sean said, asking Bigfoot what it is and, you know, you tell us, inform us. We we won't be kind of relying on these these labels that have kind of, you know, it, the, the labels are always make me think of a, a snowball kind of going downhill, picking up rocks and things like that. You don't want to put the rocks in there, but they are, and it makes a sucky snowball. That's going to be Dan's thing going forward, snowball analogies, I like it. Um, <laughs> gents, we've got some more questions we're going to answer and carry on over uh, at the Patreon for people. It's been great talking to you, so we'll wrap up now before we head off. Sean, um, do you want to just share with the listeners what you are up to just now, um, if, if you can? Um, I'll 
pause for a second to give you a moment to think about that answer if you need that. But yeah, just what you're up to, how listeners can get in touch with you uh, and what they can look forward to coming uh, in future. Right now, I, I spend most of my days coordinating efforts in, in activism in, in the UAP field. Um, we've had some avenues open up in communication with uh, some pretty influential folks. So I've been spending a lot of time trying to get those people to talk to the right people uh, within the community, people that can help um, push this issue forward in a way that doesn't uh, doesn't even bring the stigma of it into play, that's pragmatic and that, that is important to our day-to-day lives. Um, if people want to know about my other um, podcasts and other things I do, like your song, uh, like the song at the end of your show, it's your so it's your song now. You that's you that's yours. Um, but uh, they can go to my website mintyhyperspace.com. That's where I try to keep um, podcasts and other things up to date on there for a record of those things. But I can say that in the future, um, based on my work, I believe we're bringing permanency to this subject, unlike we've ever seen it before. And within the next few months to a year, I expect that all of us are going to understand what I mean by that. And that I, I think that those of us who have who have approached this subject with an open mind and an open heart, who aren't trying to, to take something from someone else to have our truth or our information take the forefront, uh, that we want to solve this thing together and, and move forward as a species, I, I think we're going to have a chance to do that. I truly do. And people are always concerned that this topic or subject is so close to coming out of the box. I would say Sean is one of those people working on the the box, not having a lid on it anymore. So uh, that's something we can look forward to. And Dan, um, I I suppose I could just say that people can look forward to listening to you again next week and the week after as the the podcast kicks on. And of course, uh, Skinwalker Ranch season two, I believe, has a date of May the 4th. Uh, Brandon had mentioned, yeah, may the force be with you too, yeah. Um, but yeah, so apparently, <laughs> is that a Catholic UK thing? <laughs> it might and be. also with you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Sean's blown out the water. That's fine. <laughs> but yeah, folks, thank you very much for listening. The Marco Connell interview will be up in the next seven days or so once it's recorded. And uh, yeah, keep an eye on future guest announcements. I don't think um wrong in announcing this because i've just got to confirm a date but i'm hoping uh, first week in march george knapp should be my guest on the podcast so i'll drop that one in there for you as well so that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access the show is ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast of course on twitter it's at ufo uapam and again folks as always keep looking up you never know what you might see it wasn't a tic tac and not quite a saucer more like a hubcap designed by chaucer a little baroque and quite steampunk like alice was playing bass for the parliament effect the little fucker hovered right outside of my window and when i shoved out the screen he made it an issue i don't think he expected me to see his ass but i'd had some champagne and smoked a little rat. Meditative game of fateful on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. I'm like, you're awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz.
kissed myself and I climbed out the window after the elf and I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was red. I called up my boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems and they think I should scare me and I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me. Consider your lies, consider your life, consider your eyes.